Thanks for listening to the Animal Control Report podcast. We are part of the Keep It Humane podcast network. Check us out, www.keepithumane.com forward slash podcast network. You'll find all the great content there, animal control related, animal shelter related, community cats, crime scenes, all of the above, anything animal welfare related. We're covering it here on the Animal Control Report and the Keep It Humane podcast network. Help people, help animals. Welcome to the Animal Control Report with your host. I don't know if I want to be a part of that one, Ashley Bishop. (laughs) And I'm Daniel Ettinger. We are... We're going to be talking about some chickens today, and I figured I would, uh, you know, play the part, if you will. Also, I was about to show up with no shirt on, but I didn't think that was appropriate for the podcast, even though. I mean, you probably have chicken legs at this point, so I guess (laughs) and shorts on. Uh, Just quickly, we're going to jump into some stuff but before we do that don't forget to wait around for the supplemental report we're going to talk about some good stuff there with ray what do we call it after ray after dark that's (laughs) a new nickname if you can if you if you are watching on youtube or spotify uh you'll see why we call her ray (laughs) or dark (laughs) she's a ray of light maybe she needs a ray of light well Always, please check out our website, all that good stuff, keepithumane.com. Check out our podcast network. That is keepithumane.com forward slash podcast network. Do all that fun stuff. Please like, share, rate the podcast. Also, since we're talking about chickens, I'm going to wing our advertisement today from wow from, from Tomahawk Live Trap. Dude, that Gravity Pro Series door trap, man. Um, that Gravity Trap, like... Kyle posted a video of it and I know we saw it in person and everything, but it's literally the coolest trap on the market. I try to get our department to get it and they're like, okay, cool. Send me some info. So hopefully we get some of those. Uh, Check out the website again, livetrap.com, livetrap.com. If you use discount code, keep it humane, you'll get 10% off of that. Awesome. Any, honestly, any product, but you'll get it off of that new gravity pro series door trap. So I, I highly suggest everybody check out the video because you can see Dave, uh, Dave, <laughs> Dan's hair dancing. Wait, my hair? Oh, the <laughs> <Yes>. video here? <laughs> Your yeah, hair is dancing. Check us out on YouTube. We're fun. We do all the good stuff on, on the, on the, what are those things called? Socials? The socials? Yes, socials. And uh, yeah, so so check that out. Don't forget to uh, like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff that we already talked about. So, uh, Bishop, I have a confession. Did I lose you over the confession? She's frozen. Is everybody frozen? Ray, are no. you frozen? No. All right. I thought well. you were just giving a dramatic effect there. Bishop, are you back? Okay. I am. So, like, you. Oh yeah, no, it was apparently my internet connection because <laughs> if you would have heard, it sounded like a chicken. Actually, I have a confession, Ashley. I was gonna text you this morning, but I was like, you know what? It'll be better to do this live. Oh, good God, Dan! Another one. I had a dream about you. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> and this is why we call it after dark. <laughs> So, um, my dream was very, 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 very short. Um, but I dream like you think I am. You you are actually somewhat short. Ray though, Ray after dark is way shorter. You've never seen me after dark. <laughs> so, uh, Ashley, I dreamed or dreamt. Dreamt. Dreamt that uh, you won ninety dollars on the slot machine. So congratulations! All right. Yeah. I mean, Taka, not last year, year before, you put me in for the stuff, and I won because of that. So you're a winner. Apparently. Ray, what are we teasing for our segment later? The supplemental report. What do you got going on for that? So let's uh, have this conversation about 
the conversation we have all the time with end of life decisions we have to have with people in the field. Okay. So you want to stick around for that because that is, that's, those are tough conversations. No, no matter what, I know we joke and have fun around, around here on the animal control report. And uh, there's times where we have to have serious moments and that's a, that's definitely a serious moment. Well, we'll jump in or fly in to our topic chicken right i mean right ray gobbled offline that's a turkey that's a turkey she was clucking we're gonna call this episode cluck around and find out (laughs) (laughs) clucking after dark (laughs) so that one (laughs) um Ray, you brought up a good a good idea for the show. We really haven't talked about chickens in the aspect of like chickens in the backyard or chickens in the farm, that type of stuff. We've talked about cockfighting, uh, but not the aspects of like just, I mean, you really broke it down through text, but like also just the idea or concept behind like proper care, the different types of chickens, all the things. And so we're here for it. Oh, that's a cue. Okay. So, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> Again. This is why we don't do episodes late at night. <laughs> no. So, like, you know, I've been in the animal welfare field for almost 10 years now. And what what's irritating to me, you know, up until maybe four years ago, I... I got so pissed because I could not understand the difference between caged eggs, what's cage-free, free-range, and pasture-raised, right? Those are the four, uh, you know, main uh, types. And it it was so frustrating back then because I, I had no idea what the difference was. And I wanted to not only know, like, how they're raised... Um, but like, like, what does all that jargon mean? Cause you go to the grocery store, right. And you see, this is hormone free and this is mm-hmm. GMO free and you know, all the and antibiotic all, free. Yeah. That like, one gets me. What does that, what does that mean? And so, you know, years ago I started getting into this to figure out exactly what it was. And there really was not a good source to go to, to differentiate between all these different things. And you know, I, you would think like, oh, USDA, they, you know, have all these standards you can go on there. But here's the interesting thing. I actually went onto their website today, knowing what I know, to see how they classify these different things. And I swear to God, after 30 minutes, I gave up because they have no info, none. And, you know, to the average consumer, you're not going to be looking for those those things after half an hour so um the animal welfare institute actually came up with this amazing website uh it's called uh choosebetteregs.com and it really is an entire compilation of what are the different types of classification of eggs how are those hens raised uh, and, and any information that you need to try and find the specific type of egg that you want to have. And it's like, well, these are just eggs. Why is this, why is this important? But people today are more concerned about where their food comes from. And they want to know how those animals are raised, what all those label meanings mean. So this website gives a really great overall uh look into all that stuff so you know we i talked about the four classifications so you have your basic one your cheapest eggs which are caged eggs right so these are the ones you go to the store and they're like three bucks a dozen and the industry standard under usda rules are that, that they have to have a minimum of 67 square inches of living space and to put that into context, that's less than the surface area of your average notebook paper. That wow. is where they're living in a battery cage, as we call them. They're, they eat, they sleep, they feed, 
they poop, they lay their eggs, they never get out ever. And they typically are in there for up to a maximum of 18 months before they're sent out to be processed for food. So that's your basic caged eggs. Then you have your cage-free eggs. And a lot of restaurants and stuff are going to this because of this push from, uh, you know, people, activists, consumers in general, where they're living in these giant living houses. And they can average anywhere between 10 to 50,000 hens with an average being... If with you, an average of being 40,000 on if you've average. seen those videos, I mean, it's it doesn't look humane to me, but. Well, so there's differences between that and your cage tents. So cage tents is pretty much just what I said. They're in that battery cage their whole life. When you have your cage tents, it sounds great, but the. You mean you're, inst- you're cage free? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, your cage free hens. It sounds great. Like they're living in these giant houses, but there's no standard for ventilation. There's no standard for light. Um, the The industry standard per USDA is that they have to have 144 square inches of space, which is a one foot by one foot area per hen. That right. is the standard. And there, there are some other things that go into it, like having perches, but only 20% of those perches have to be off of the ground. And that's pretty much it. So How is a perch if it's not off the ground? That's, that's what the USDA says. So I'm just giving the facts. <laughs> this, is not, this is not a personal opinion. This is what is on their website. This is, this is what their standard is, right? So they actually don't really recognize any other type of egg, uh, produced egg beyond that. Uh, any type beyond that, which is free range and then top tier, which is pasture raised, is kind of a loosey-goosey interpretation by them that is actually more so regulated by third-party uh, animal welfare vendors. So like the main ones is American Humane Certified, or maybe you've seen like that blue and green label that says Certified Humane, Raised and Handled, if you ever looked at eggs. Those are two of like the big ones who do that. So with your free range eggs, the standards are under USDA exactly the same as cage-free with the understanding that each hen has access at some point in time to two square feet of outdoor access. That's it. So two square feet. Uh, let me. I'm, I'm curious, uh, Ray, because I'm hearing like a lot of major differences, and then the American standards. Do you know why, and we can get back to it if you want to, but do you know why when you go over to like England, like Europe, when you go into a store, all their eggs are at room temperature and they're not in the coolers like we keep them in the United States. Do you know why that is? Well, I've never been overseas, but when hens lay eggs, so long as they've never been refrigerated, typically- Or washed. I don't think they can be washed either. They can't be washed. They definitely can't be refrigerated. As long as they they stay fine for, I'm not, I'm not going to make this up. I don't even know how long, but for, for a period of time that they don't go bad versus if they're refrigerated. And a lot of this stuff has to do with, you know, salmonella complaints and, and, and all kinds of things that goes into that. But you know, people who like have like backyard chickens and stuff, like a lot of them won't actually refrigerate because there's really no need. Once they've been refrigerated, they cannot be sitting out at room temperature. Okay. That makes sense. And then um, the the last one you were talking about, you said that you call it the premium. So it's what I would consider premium. It's what the, what all of these third party, uh, um, you know, uh, third-party animal welfare um, uh, certification uh, associations have is pasture-raised. So 
pasture raised again does not have any standard holding with the USDA. They don't recognize that as as anything official. These are things that are actually made up by these third party um, animal welfare um, associations. Like I mentioned, you know the the American Humane Certified, Certified Humane. Uh, regenerative organic certified those are different third party places but their standard is that each hen has to have a minimum of 108 square feet out loose in a pasture where they're not contained to a house where they can exhibit natural behavior behavior such as like foraging um so typically the setups for these is they have them in kind of like these circle pastures where they rotate them because that's also one of the requirements. They have to be regularly rotated. The hens get to display their natural behaviors, foraging, scratching, um, you know, nesting, having dust baths, things like that. Uh, and then, of course, they have uh, some kind of coop that they come in, you know, to uh, in the evening. Um, where they uh, are away from predators. So it's a big difference. And to make it more convoluted, some free range um, distributors will adhere to those standards, but aren't necessarily classified as pasturized because they can't always adhere to those standards that are set by these third-party animal welfare companies, right? So it's it's still, like, even though it's laid out, it's really confusing. And that's why, like, I really, really love this choosebettereggs.com website because they make everything very clear. And it's really cool because if you go on this website, they lay out all of this stuff more in detail. They provide links to all of your major grocery stores in the area who have these different types of eggs. You can search, like if you want to do pasteurase, you can find where they're having them. And then they even go a step on top of that, where if you go, they connect links to these sites. So like, for example, Vital Farms is one of those high quality uh, egg producers where you can go on their website and say you purchase a, a dozen eggs from Vital Farms. And on the side of the carton, they show you where those eggs specifically came from and what what farm. And I did this. I actually, I never did this until today. I did it till today. I went out to the grocery store, not even lying this morning, got some eggs, came back, looked it up, Fairfax Farms. And they have like a live camera set up in their pasture where you can see the hens they're out there in this forest foraging around having a good time and you know it was great because this was not accessible years this 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 wasn't even accessible months ago this was something that they just made so i think it's significant for people who not only are in like the animal welfare field but just as like a consumer in general because like the usda site is so horrible and you go on this and like I'm I'm so uh you know hesitant to be like oh this is a a, a one-time fix this is this is great but like this website really is fantastic and if you've never looked at it you should I'm curious Ray like how do we tie it back into animal control officers and the work that they do maybe inspecting somebody's just personal chickens on the property, are there any tips or anything that they can look for that may be um, given from a website like this? So, like they know that, you know, I know, like in certain areas, there are certain standards from the city ordinances and things like that. But like, how would an officer that's not familiar with a chicken outside of Carl's Jr. know what's the place called that everybody likes? Chick Fil A. That's the one. How would they know, like, if a chicken is appropriate weight or if they're feeding the right feed or they have, you know, there, there aren't mites. Like how do they do all that stuff? 
Well, that's more so going to be like specific training. So NACA has been doing these online trainings recently, and they did one specifically on poultry investigations that I actually attended. It was a free training. I think it was like an hour or two long. And they really went in depth about like molting and different mm -hmm. diseases to look for, um, you know, uh, with like botulism and what what chickens, you know, end up looking like once they um if they if they get that they in that training they talk about bumblefoot um, they do talk about bumblefoot they actually have a slide where they take the entire digestive tract out of a chicken and have it laid out in chicken form yes. like not stretched out like how it looks so that you can see those things like if you're ever going to do a necropsy or whatever then you could see like all these organs that maybe you didn't know about before like you know i'm 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 not gonna say i'm a chicken expert right i'm not i don't have chickens i've never owned them but it's a good training and so you know the website i'm talking about is more for like consumer-based stuff it does give some information about like housing techniques and how to like make them happy and give them like you know best life if that's something you care about but again it's all going to be determined by like what your jurisdictional ordinances say about housing and uh conditions and as far as what to look for when doing investigations like this it's just going to be up to training um and so if you if you don't know if you're interested um then that i i think that naca ends up keeping those recordings and so you can do it it's a poultry investigations uh recording it was really great so i recommend that for any apo uh, my guess, my guess would be it's under uh, the Justice Clearinghouse. That's yeah. who, think, that's where they've been doing all their stuff lately. I think so. Yeah. Um, do you guys both have allowed chickens in your urban areas? Mine does. Yeah. And we have like where I'm located, it does get very rural. So the chickens, there are some regulations more so with the roosters uh, just due to like noise noise complaints mm -hmm. and such uh, you are allowed to have them and i know where ray's at you are not allowed to have them but uh, it just depends on local jurisdiction i actually believe it or not you might know this not know this i actually owned chickens for a short period of time and they were great they would lay eggs and eat all the all the little bugs this story i kid you not this story still to this day kind of freaks me out i was I was watering. I think I was just filling up their waters actually. And the hose kind of like fell And the way that I built the enclosure. It was actually, um, I built it so foxes or coyotes or even any other animal couldn't dig under. So I put chicken wire in the ground, but I had, um, they were four by fours in the ground. I laid those in the ground so that they were there. And then there was chicken wire under that. And somehow the hose got under that and little baby mice, ran out fast like they were like and the chickens ate those things faster than i could blink i was scared to death i was scared to death of those things after that i was like got real killers on my they really are descendants of dinosaurs they did not play so that's just my chicken story and they were amazing well, it's a good point, too, because it's, like, part of the confusing, like, food labels. Like, they're all vegetarian-fed, and it's, like, chickens are not – chickens aren't vegetarians. They are omnivores. They are meant to eat bugs. They eat frogs. They eat mice. They eat snakes. Um, So it, it's just, like, these misleading labels about being, well, just because they're vegetarian-fed, they're better or hormone-free, which – is also a big is also a big fake and and you know that's why I go back to like this was like so frustrating for me for years ago because it's like the USDA does not allow hormones in poultry period so putting that label on your egg carton words it doesn't mean anything it do, it doesn't mean anything it's just to trick these consumers into thinking like oh they're great they're more humane of course i want to do what's great i'm going to buy these it doesn't mean anything. No, they're, they're buzzwords. And the one that gets me always is uh, the antibiotic free oh. because I I go, okay, but what if it 
is ill and needs an antibiotic. Are you not giving it then because, or is that just a buzzword that they are using for the general public? And honestly, they're still giving the antibiotic, but then maybe not selling those eggs for a certain amount of time or whatever. You know, there's probably a withholding in that if they're doing it honestly, or are they just putting, like, who's actually regulating that they're doing the things that they're saying on there? Yeah, so like with caged and cage-free, the USDA does come out once a year to perform those inspections that they're that those companies are abiding by. They, those but do they announce that they're coming out? Hmm. I, I well, I I don't know. I don't know if they're random. I don't know if they're planned. Because if it was me, they'd be random and unannounced. Mm -hmm. In fact, I have. Um, now this gets, cause I have to inspect every property before we give our chicken permits out. Mm -hmm. Um, same with our pet fancier permits. And I'm actually very frustrated right now because I've always wanted to do them unannounced because people have tried to hide animals and stuff on me. What? Um, you mean people aren't <laughs> serious at times? <laughs> right. Um, and now I have to, they want everything scheduled out and I have to give specific days and people know when they're, I'm coming and I'm like, this is ridiculous, but I don't know. I, I, I dislike that my ordinance actually very specifically does not allow for the, um, tractors for the chickens. Do you know what that is? They don't allow tractors for the ch chicken. So the, the tractors are like the um. Now I'm pulling a Dan here and can't think of the word I want, but like the run, but it's movable, so you can move it to different parts of your yard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They want everything to be stationary, so they don't ever get to go anywhere else in the yard. And I couldn't get them to budge on that when they were making the ordinance. Hmm. That seems counterintuitive. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's odd. Did, did they give a reason? So they are incredibly specific as to being um, 10 feet from a lot line, 25 feet from any residential property, not belonging to the owners of the chickens. And because I have to go out and do the inspection, their thought was, well, we're we're not going to go out and inspect every day if they are using this tractor and moving it around the yard. So that's interesting. Yeah. Can I ask? Uh, you can ask. State, we might not answer. What states? What states? Um, because I'm pretty sure it's California that has like a cage-free law. Like, so chicken farmers can't do the, what'd you call them? Battery pens? Battery cages. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? Is that on that website? Um, I'm sure there's a link to it. I didn't scroll through because there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff on this website and there's, and if it's not specifically listed on here, they give you proper links to go to for that info. But I think you're right. I know Colorado has one where it's all supposed to be cage-free by like 2025, but it, it depends on ordinances. So um, when it comes to uh, free range and pasture raise, like I said, the USDA like doesn't really have a standard for that other than the same thing that goes for cage-free plus a minimum of two square feet outside at some point in time in their life. Um, but that usually is more so regulated by the states. Um, and so that's why it's been more so up to these third party vendors, these animal welfare, um, associations to perform these kinds of inspections specifically for free range and pastures. Um, and a lot of, a lot of egg companies actually do partner with them, uh, because if you're going to be spending that much more money on them, they want to make sure that 
they're actually going to have that standard. And, you know, because the people who are actually looking into this stuff and purposely buying those products, they're going to want to know exactly where it's coming from. Right. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's kind of, it's shocking though, but yeah, I would, I would just encourage everybody if you have any kind of interest in that at all to go to that website choosebettereggs.com and look at that stuff um because it has a lot of good info well i'm all yoked out about uh these eggs here you know being a person that doesn't eat animal products for the most part i will occasionally I haven't had like an egg, like a sunny side up or a scrambled or anything like that, but occasionally in uh, baked goods, I will. Um, and uh, I think it's important that we know where our food comes from. I do. And, and it's cool hearing it from somebody else that's not vegan, that uh, values the, uh, hu- I wish we could call it humanity, but that doesn't make sense. The humanity, Bishop? The wow. Humanity. <laughs> no, because now it sounds like you're talking about manatees. We had a show. Do you remember that show we did? Episode probably like 62, where the person carved Trump into a manatee in Florida. Do you remember this episode that we did? Yes. Isn't that wild? I do remember that. Yeah. For all of our listeners, they are archived, so you can go back to whatever episode it was. I'm pretty sure it was called Don't Have a Sea Cow Manatee was the name. <laughs> so, and somebody, now what we determined though, I know we're getting a little bit off track, but it's okay, is there was no harm done to the manatee because there's like a layer of like algae that grows on the manatee. Yeah. Outside but it, of- they still uh, got caught and faced fines for it. Well, because it's they? a protected, yeah, it's a protected, uh, yeah. protected animal. Wait, Dan, would you would you eat an egg? Like whatever. You know, you're you're vegan, right? So if you had like a like a buddy who was raising chickens like on their yard on their farm, on their in their yard, whatever, and they're like, you knew they're humane, humane raised, like, you know, they're not doing anything. Like, would you eat would you eat one of those eggs? I would. And I, um, I often talk about that from a vegan standpoint, right? Because at the end of the day, if it's not a fertilized egg, there's not much use for it. Now, a lot of times the chicken will re-eat the egg for its own source. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. But it's kind of like, you're, you're, it's not that like, I'm not a vegan who like is anti-honey either. Um, And, you know, uh, so I'm not that strict. I'll probably get kicked out of vegan clubs. Um, if they heard me saying that, but that's okay. Like that's okay. Uh, but a hundred percent. And I have. Um, Would you do with the eggs you got with the chickens you had? I don't think I was vegan at that time. Ah, uh, that was over like five years ago. So, but there's different types of vegans though. Like you have like your hardcore, like no, even like no honey. But I've talked to vegans who are like, you know, if there's like a stir fry or whatever, they'll pick around the meat like they won't eat it. I've talked to some that's like, oh, if you're going to have, you know, a a bowl of, you know, ramen or whatever, and there's a poached egg, it's like, why not have it? It's already in there. Otherwise, it's a waste. They're not going to actively seek it out. But if it's in there, they will. And like, there's, there, so there's like different levels, right? There are. But, there's some that will mm-hmm. throw red paint on your fur coat, too. So. <laughs> I don't have any of those, so. I'm just saying from the aspects of like, you know, the types of vegans, but we can hold that for another show. Dun, 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 dun. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the supplemental report brought to you by the Humane Educators of Texas, the Humane Educators of Texas.com. Check them out. They have some great stuff going on. It is supplemental report time with Ray after dark. <laughs> I feel like I've been doing a lot of the talking though, so it doesn't feel very special. <laughs> well, but it's still the supplemental report, and that's your job. Wow. 
you, you really brought up a, a, a cool idea and I don't know if it's cool. I was actually talking about this today. I'm uh, sitting in a hotel room though. You can't tell because I have a virtual background on and I'm out in Missouri and we have a large class uh, yesterday, today, have one tomorrow. Um, and it's, it's an interesting conversation that I had with them. And these are folks that are in the military. So they're not animal control folks. Uh, we have, some some veterinarians, a lot of military police, detectives, et cetera. And I stopped the, the session today and I was just, oftentimes when I teach, as both of you know, my attention to, no, that's not the right word. My attention span, not attention to detail. <laughs> Sometimes my attention to detail too. If you got a certificate recently from me, you know what I'm talking about. That's okay. Um, however... <laughs> Sometimes I just talk, like I, I just want to have conversations and I was letting them know that our profession in animal control is so unique in the aspects of, um, there are times where, you know, we might have to put down an animal that in other, otherwise other means may not need to be euthanized outside the fact that there are some behavioral issues to other animals, maybe not people, right. But it's a safety, it's a safety risk to the community because, we can't trust that somebody's going to keep it away from the backyard chickens or the neighbor's cat or another dog. Right. Mm -hmm. So just the general like thought process of euthanasia, it's not something that many people do. And so with Ray's supplemental report, it was more so focused on like, I think you were talking about owner surrenders, like in the field and, or like somebody that has an animal that is, maybe not receiving what we would call call palliative care. And thankfully I'm um, surrounded by two vet techs. And so the palliative care, you know, at least providing some comfort for the animal during those last stages of their life. And so if somebody's just gonna allow it to suffer, do we have that quality of life conversation with them? And how do we do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the best, so it's, it's, it's difficult it's probably easier to talk about this with an example. So I had a call one evening for a baby crying in an apartment and I get there and there's two police officers inside this unit. And as soon as you walk into the unit, there is a closet, like a coat closet that's partially open. And there's two dogs in there. Well, the, the, there's a Pomeranian is fine. And then there's this doxy, this dapple doxy laying outside. And you could tell this thing is old, like 17 years old. Complete BCS of one. There's a water bowl in there, but it's lateral. Cannot stand. And it's the reason we got the call because it was whining. It was crying like a baby when you walked in. And, you know, I start to do this investigation. I see every single bone in its body. It has pressure source it's obviously old can't stand so technically there's water but it can't really access that water because it can't even stand it can't even lift its head off of the ground and eventually the owner comes back and you know she's upset and she shows me all this medication that she'd been giving this dog she showed me paperwork that she had actually taken this dog to the vet last time like six months ago but I look at this paperwork and see that at the time the dog was like 17 pounds. And at this point, you know, my two dogs are no more than 13. And this dog definitely was not even 13. And so I'm like, how does your dog lose, you know, seven pounds in six months? That's obvious because it can't move. And so, you know, that's where it comes in that palliative care. Like, yeah, it had recent, I guess, vet care, but, you know, I told her, if the vet was seeing what I saw now, I highly doubt that they would tell you that the dog was having a good quality of life based on the condition, the pressure source, the fact that it can't walk, it can't stand. And I actually had the police officers take my phone and, and do a recording while I tried to make this dog stand on its four legs. And it, it just couldn't. It was like taking a piece of cardboard and it would just flop over it. Oh. So, you know, at that point, I just told her, you you have 24 hours to get it to a vet. And I 
went to that vet the following day and I told them, this is the condition. This is what I saw. She's supposed to be bringing the dog into you. And, you know, you guys need to have that conversation that I had with her on scene was this dog has zero quality of life. Like if I could give you negative quality, like negative points, I would, because I know that you love this dog. You know, she talked about how she had him since he was eight weeks old. She spent all this money. She showed me form after form after form after form of all these vet visits that she's had. Like she was, a, a, you know, arguably a responsible owner, but just had that hard time of letting go in the end. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have that hard conversation of like, look, I don't want to seize this dog from you and issue neglect charges but it's coming to that point because this dog is not doing well and you need I'm giving you an opportunity to make that right decision and talk to your vet because this is what's going to happen if you don't and it's not going to be good and that's not a conversation that at least for me being an APO I was ever trained on like you know, we didn't, I never got that experience for several years, actually, even when I was on my own, it was just something that conversation that I had to learn to develop over time based on a variety of factors in whatever situation I came into. So it's not an easy conversation to have because you're keeping in mind of the welfare of the animal, the conditions it's in, what is the past history of veterinary care, and what is the relationship with the owner and their access to care things. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. So I have one that, um, on a different note, we I have a dog that <clears throat> I had to declare dangerous. And I knew very well that the family was going to struggle with this dog. Um, Strangely enough, through a a lot of different events, I've actually declared like five of their dogs dangerous. And they are mostly litter mates um, of shepherd mix types. Um, but the one in particular, it was this particular situation. We had two dogs get out and they attacked a little boy. One of the dogs was very clearly more the instigator than the other. And the dog that was the instigator was seven months old, quite aggressive. Um, and the conversation with the family went like this. First of all, I have a very, very good rapport with this family for having declared so many of their dogs dangerous, as well as actually having them euthanize multiple of them because of aggression issues. Um, I built up a great rapport with them. And I also knew that they had um, a lot of mental health challenges, PTSD and things like that, that ran in, in their family as well. So I actually utilized that information to my advantage when having that conversation. And I said, okay, you know, you guys, you've told me that you have PTSD and you have all of these things, but you are able to utilize resources to help yourself. You're able to utilize medications. And I explained to them like, yes, there are the potential, there's the potential there for medications for the dog. But you guys are financially strapped. There's a hard time getting to the vet and getting, you know, the medications on a regular basis and then making sure the animal's taking them regularly. I said, you get to go to things like therapy. You get to talk about your problems and you get to explain it. I said, now pretend that you are the dog who clearly is high anxiety, has lots of issues. Um, and doesn't understand why now used to have the whole big yard. Now we only have a small part of the yard and we have um, a lot of limitations and 
we don't get to socialize and we don't get to do all these things. And I'm not saying that there are some people that can have a dangerous dog and do it right and, and be able to give that animal a quality of life. But again, based on this family, I was able to relate it back to their anxieties, their PTSD, their other mental health issues. And I was able to get them to go, you know what, you're right. Um, I wouldn't want to live like that if I was not able to understand my diagnosis. And so I don't want to make my dog live like that. Yeah, because um, what's the other difference? You go to the vet, maybe best scenario, they give you trazodone, then you're jacked up on trazodone for right. the rest of your life. Exactly. Well, and we can How talk about that any different than being sent like staying in a in a crate. We yeah. can talk about that as a whole episode at some point because that is a, a movement where dogs are drugged. Um, and uh, I, I wish we had more time for that tonight. We don't. I will say it was really hard for me, Ray and, and Ashley. I'll be honest. When I, I, I worked a job where I had a supervisor who was not supportive of having conversations with owners about end of life things uh, i think it was what? based on yeah it was based on, why um she I, I really truly believe it was based off of her of her religious beliefs um it was a hard conversation to broach um because of that and i never wanted to make it personal um, but there were times that um, i almost got in trouble and in fact um there's a, i'm not going to put her name out there but if you google uh, there, there was an officer that uh, went to the newspaper or actually a supervisor several years ago, probably 10 years ago now, uh, because he charged somebody or wanted to charge somebody with animal cruelty for a dog that had cancer uh, and was dumped at the animal shelter. It was a pretty big case uh, in a small mountain town. And um, it it raised a lot of concerns because the officer had a different background of law enforcement or the supervisor, but the manager was completely opposed to uh, supervisor charging because they felt like there was palliative care. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of the case, um, but this dog was like a BCS one uh, was dropped off dead. They wanted, or he wanted to do a necropsy. The manager wasn't about it. It was a whole to do. And I could never like, truly get behind that like i i it was it was a struggle so we, we had some differences in regards to a couple of cases that we had and i really had to convince her to allow us to move forward uh, with charging and and really you know had to explain why um you know long term like long term negligence is criminal i actually uh remember a case this is very early on in my career um so definitely still trying to figure out what was prosecutable in my area and what wasn't um pity thing bcs1 probably 14 15 years old came in as a stray and when the vet looked at her because of a wound or something i don't quite remember diagnosed her with um bone cancer which is incredibly painful um very very rapid deterioration um and when the owner came forward she's like oh i'm i'm treating her with cbd that was her response and i finally said to the owner when after the vet had talked to her and was like hey quality of life here you should think about euthanizing and she was not willing to I told her, I said, you either are going to put this dog down or I'm going to charge you. And I, I gave her an ultimatum. Um, and she event she did end up putting the dog down, but like it, sometimes it has come to that. The ones that really frustrate me is for lice animal licensing. I'll get it all the time when I'm like, Hey, you know, I get a phone call. Yeah, we were going to license. I know we're late, but I don't know. We we think within the next month, our dog is going to die. Well, if you think your dog's going to die in the next month, why don't you just put it down? Not because I'm being cruel, but because it's probably suffering at this point already. You know? Absolutely. Well, I think there's like a difference between 
I, I think there's a difference in that in those types of cases because it depends on their mindset. Is it really that they they just love the animal so much that it's so difficult to let go? Or is it that they don't care or they don't think that they're as bad off as they actually are? I'm not saying either one's better, but I think that they're, the owner mindset is mm. different and that that causes us to take a different approach in having these types of conversations with them. And then when you oh, add absolutely religious aspect to it, I mean, a lot of people do have that and um, that's hard to make end of life decisions when, you know, there's that. So I, I you know, I think it's kind of a, a combination of all the things and it's tough. It's a tough part of our job. And at the end of the day, I just want to make sure that like no animal is suffering right? No animal is like, because of someone's selfishness. I mean, that's really what it comes down mm -hmm. to. Unfortunately, um, someone's selfishness because they want to spend more time with that animal while it's just laying there unresponsive. It's just like, it's time to go. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think we have more of a practical mind in some of that aspects because what we see, uh, and a lot of people have more of an emotional mind when it comes to that stuff. So the dynamic can be a little difficult, but at the end of the day, we have to just make sure that we're you know, coming to those situations with compassion and, and really trying to explain. So that way, hopefully that person makes uh, the decision that's going to be best for them and the animal. Yeah. Yep. Well, people, I think that just about do's it on do's episode. It? I don't even know what number this is, but it's up there. We're up there. Chickens are up there. Can chickens fly? Yes. Just like turkeys. But not far. Not long distance. Not long distance, but that depends on your definition of fly. Also, speaking of fly, do you think I'm wearing any pants right now? I don't want to know. Please don't stand up. I won't stand up. I'm just curious. I won't stand up either. <laughs> <laughs> and that just about does it here on the Animal Control Report, where Bishop and I are clearly pantless and Ray is not. Thank you for listening. Please check out our website keepithumane.com check out our awesome sponsor that is livetrap.com keep it humane for 10% off your order don't forget to like share rate the podcast follow us on all the socials and uh let's continue to help people help animals animals keep it humane <laughs> how do i end the recording I, this zoom stuff at I'm the very bottom there's a where 